As you know, on Unscalable, we like to speak to people who have adopted an unscalable approach to growing their businesses. So today we're super excited to have Ryan Bourne on the show. It's a funny story. I'm not sure if you remember my team uh, back in social media, social marketing world back in 2019. I remember meeting Ryan, I think, at our mixer that we had. Um, I remember chatting to you about social media management software and uh, obviously working with agencies. Uh, so for those who don't know Ryan, Ryan is the founder of Cloud Campaign a SaaS tool that helps agencies scale on social media. Um, so Ryan, just want to say a massive welcome to the show. Um, obviously, it's been a while since we last uh, spoke. Um, just curious, had you, had you started Cloud Campaign back in 2019 at Social Media Marketing World, or did you start after that? Yeah, so I started Cloud Campaign back in 2017, but it was pretty slow moving for the first couple of years. We didn't really have too much traction or too many customers. Um, and then things really picked up the, the past couple of years here. But yeah, it's funny. I, it's funny you bring up that story. I remember we were at the conference and we actually had a booth there. And uh, folks at the conference, attendees were coming up saying, oh, we're going to this sendable mixer after <laughs> after the final talks. And I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I would love to meet the the founders of Sendable. Like, let me just see if they'll let me in and, and show up. So, yeah, I ended up just showing up there and saw the two of you uh, chatting. So I walked over and introduced myself. But, yeah, good times. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. So, Ryan, just, just a massive congrats, obviously, on raising your, your Series A. I'm um, just curious, like, what made you decide to raise versus remain bootstrapped? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and thank you. Um, it's I love this question just because I think it's so polarizing. I think a lot of folks either are very uh, set on the bootstrap route, and then other folks are very set on you know going the VC route from day one. We kind of took a different path where we were bootstrapped for the first two years and got to profitability being bootstrapped. And then decided to raise money and have since raised three rounds of financing. So kind of have perspective on, on both sides of the coin there. I mean, for us, I think what it really came down to is we saw this bigger opportunity. Um, as you know, probably with Sendable, agencies are, are fairly underserved. I think they're a huge market opportunity. And a lot of the, the large players that have been in the space for a while, such as Hootsuite or Sprout Social, um, started going direct to brand and have now realized oh, agencies are actually a very large market and they're trying to now pivot their solutions to work for agencies and kind of activate their sales team to go after that market. Mm -hmm. And we saw it as, you know, pretty much imperative to raise money to accelerate and start to grab market share quicker than they're able to repurpose their products and, and start to kind of move into that market. So it's really, you know, for us, two things. One, raising VC has allowed us to move a lot quicker. And then two, we do see that there's a big enough opportunity here where the math could make sense um, for a big outcome sometime in the future. But I think that's not the case for most businesses. Honestly, I think BC is a, a very poor model for most businesses. And I think if you go into it with the wrong mindset or not really thinking about what the outcome needs to be for the math to make sense for a venture capitalist, you're going to have a really bad time and you're not going to have alignment with the investors that you bring on board. Did you ever have any concerns when you first raised um, funds? Uh, if uh, you would obviously about losing control, like kind of for me, I just like being in control of my sort of destiny. Do you ever have any concerns about that? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's always an early conversation that we have with investors. And I think one thing to note is it's not a transaction. It's a mm -hmm. partnership, right? You're going to be with these investors for the remainder of the company. They stay on your cap table. Even if they aren't a majority shareholder, they're still going to be there and they're going to be you know, getting investor updates, they're going to be maybe showing up to board meetings, depending on how much equity they own and, and what their position is. But you need to find someone that really believes in your vision and, and believes in what you think the outcome of the business could be and have alignment on that from day one. 
Otherwise, if you just say, hey, I just need this money now, I, I, we'll figure it out later. I, I'm sure we'll get to like common ground later. Don't do that. That's that's a terrible idea. You're not going to get there. And at some point, you know, VCs, like even if they don't have control of the business, even if they don't have voting rights or even if they don't have board control, they can still make your life miserable by just dragging their feet and making it really hard to move initiatives forward. And so we always start, you know, anytime we want to raise money, we always start conversations with, here's our vision. This is what we think the business can be. Like, do you believe in this vision? If not, then let's not work together. I don't think this is going to be a good business partnership for either of us. Mm, makes sense. Uh, I saw on your, um, I think on your press release that you guys had a massive year last year. I think everyone had a massive year in SaaS. <laughs> uh, it said that you grew revenue by like 200% and added like 420 new customers. Did you ever consider sort of exiting rather than fundraising? Yeah, I mean, I think every single time you go to raise money, you you kind of have that optionality of, you know, the business has sort of been maximized based off of, the revenue that you have or the the capital you have in your bank do you want to go and raise money do you want to push for profitability or do you want to exit um and, and i think for us you know we we had the conversation internally of like does this make sense to try and look for an exit or does it make sense to raise money and i think there's still a lot of opportunity in front of us and that's ultimately why we decided to raise money i think our broader vision of becoming really the operating system for marketing agencies I think it's something that's really compelling and really driving for us. And I think we'd be selling ourselves short if we decided to exit at this point and and not really push for this bigger vision. So so can you just describe the process kind of of how you went out to find investors? Was there anything that kind of surprised you along the way or? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I would say the process for us is, you know, start conversations early. Again, it's about building a relationship and a partnership. And so I think you need to build trust with, the investors with the partners that you're going to be working with. And so I'd recommend folks that do want to fundraise start the process probably two to three months sooner than you think you need to. And just start having conversations of, Hey, I'm starting to see this in the market. You know, there's other investors that are reaching out, they're preempting, they're expressing interest. Like, what do you think? Here's where we're at with our business. Do you think we're ready to fundraise? What do you think about our vision? Is this like VC worthy? And essentially just ask them for advice it's a really great way to get a partner to buy in on what you're doing and then for them to pitch it to the rest of the partners at the IC meeting. And ideally, you kind of want to get as many of these conversations started as possible without actually saying, hey, we are fundraising, right? Because as soon as you say, hey, we're fundraising, the investors kind of lose interest and they're like, okay, well, like the process has already started. We'll jump in at the end if we're interested and if there's room for us once they get a term sheet. Versus if you sort of just say, hey, yeah, we're, we're thinking about it. We're not really sure if we want to. We're really close to profitability. And so we might just go become profitable and not raise another round. But we see this bigger vision. Like, what do you think? Sooner than later, you know, most likely an investor is going to say, hey, like, you know what? We're interested in leaving this. Like, let's take the lead on this. We'll set the terms on it. If you agree to it, here's our term sheet. And then once you have one term sheet, that's when you make a mad dash to hit the ground running and reach out to every other investor that you've talked to that potentially could lead and say, Hey, we have a term sheet. We're interested in working with you. Would you be interested in putting up a term sheet as well? And then once you get competing Uh term sheets, that's how you get a great valuation. It's essentially like same as selling a company, right? Like if you have multiple folks bidding on it, um, you can essentially use those as, Hey, this is what the market's telling me. And that's going to just drive the price higher and higher in terms of your valuation. Awesome. I guess one of the, one of the thing to note, um, if you're getting folks reaching out to you from VC firms, typically it's going to be the associate that reaches out, which is someone that's entry level at the firm. 
I would recommend not taking that meeting as much as possible. It rarely ever leads anywhere. You want to try and get a meeting with one of the partners who someone that actually has, you know, more say within the firm and can actually lead the deal and move the deal along throughout the process versus an associate will need to then find a partner that wants to own that deal. And the way the VC firms typically work is, you know, typically that partner will then kind of be the liaison between your business and the VC firm. And they'll be the one that's involved for kind of the remainder of the business. And so you want to find someone that you really click with um, and, you know, really trust in someone that really believes in your vision because they're going to be the one that's bringing the news back to the VC firm and really championing for you. Makes sense. So what's your long-term vision for cloud campaign? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity to really build the operating system for marketing agencies. And I'm, I'm sure this is something you see with Sendable, where social media is really just one part of the agency's business. And there's a lot of other kind of hurdles and problems that agencies are trying to solve that they're having a really tough time with. You know, how do I invoice my clients at the end of the month? How do I manage all my clients? How do I send proposals? How do I find new clients? So I think the real big opportunity that we see is can we build this operating system where an agency can come on within 20 minutes, you know, put in their credit card and start running an agency through our platform and have all the different marketing automation tools at their disposal that they need. And then the ability to charge clients at the end of the month and start making money. Um, we, we sort of liken it to Shopify, you know, the way Shopify has really democratized starting an e-commerce business. They've made it so easy where anyone on the street can go and just start selling stuff online uh, we really want to do the same thing, you know, where a marketer can really focus on the parts of the business that they like, the creative aspect, and not be just totally bogged down by how do I send invoices? Where do I get proposals from? How do I manage electronic signatures? That kind of stuff. That's that's really what we want to tackle. So I guess when you started, you were mainly focused on the social media aspect of what an agency does, right? Yep, exactly. Um, so I'm just, just curious, like, like what made you decide to get into the social media piece first? That's, that's obviously highly competitive. <laughs> sweet sprout social all the others uh what, yeah. what made you decide to get into that no it's funny i mean this is like actually part of the reasons why we bootstrapped initially is it was a completely different product idea and the ambition wasn't becoming a large market player the, the thought was oh we can have like a small you know nice lifestyle business that's generating great <laughs> passive <similar>. income and <laughs> I, oh, I don't need to work 40 hours a week we'll have this amazing business and the idea back then was there's this idea within email marketing where you can send dynamic emails based off the weather or trends. And one of my buddies that works in e-commerce was doing this for the brand that he worked at. Um, so the example would be if it's raining and cold in the UK, you're going to get an email with, you know, pants and a jacket versus if it's sunny and hot and Boulder where I'm at, I'm going to get shorts and flip flops in my email for e-commerce. And so the thought was, this seems really easy to build from a technical standpoint. Why doesn't this exist on social media? And built that initial product, launched it within, I think it was about two months, had the MVP out, had tons of interest, but then no one wanted to pay for it. Everyone's like, yeah, this is cool, but like, I still need my core platform and I don't want to pay for this product as well as, you know, Hootsuite or whatever else I'm using for like the core management analytics. And then I, I was thinking more about it and I was like, well, you know, large enterprises would prob probably okay, be okay paying for multiple tools. They have the budget for it. Let me just go try and sell an enterprise. And through that process, realized, oh, most enterprises and most businesses in general don't manage their own social media. They hire an agency for it. In fact, I think it's like 79% of SMBs in the United States hire an agency or a freelancer to help them with social wow. media management. And it's a massive number. And I was like, why, 
like how has no one really taken ownership of this market, right? Like there's large players that are in the social media space, as you mentioned, but most of them aren't really built for agencies. And Sendable, I'd say, like had the foresight of realizing that this was a big opportunity um, and you all kind of had first movers advantage on this. But yeah, it, it just saw that as most agencies are using still brand solutions and it's largely fragmented space. And so the bigger opportunity here is, is to pivot and, and go after agencies now. So is there anything that you kind of wish you had done differently when you started? Was it, was it that or is it, is it anything else? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, don't, I don't know where to start, but you know, I'd say the biggest <laughs> mistake was not talking to customers from day one. My thought was yeah. they won't really understand until I build the product and I can show them and it's demonstrable. So let me just start building. And my background's technical. So like that part's mm-hmm. easy for me. The part that's hard for me is selling and talking to people. And I was like, I'll, I'll figure that out later. Like, I'll just put this on a website and people will just start buying it. It'll be great. And I wish I would have day one, week one, just started talking to customers saying, hey, is this actually something you want? And I think I would have much quicker realized that the big opportunity is marketing agencies and not necessarily mm-hmm. the brands themselves. That's very interesting. So it's the kind of that personal connection that would have could have really helped, you know, kind of in the early days. Yeah, Absolutely. And I, I do wonder, like, if it would have been a different product, if I would have realized that, you know, like you meant you asked, like, why, why social media when there's all mm. these other issues that agencies <laughs> face? And it's really because it ended up like pivoting into this and in, into the agency space. And I think if I would have talked to agencies from the start saying, yes, this is my target customer, I might have built a different product just because there are other, other needs that are pretty substantial that agencies are trying to tackle at this moment. How did you go about onboarding your first few customers and ensuring you had a product market fit? Yeah, so it was, it was extremely manual. Um, I think it's actually a, a good topic for the Unscalable podcast because it, it was unscalable. Um, initially, we we tried outbound, so just trying to call cold call agencies to get them on the platform. And we had zero brand awareness. No one wanted to talk to us. Everyone was busy working with their clients. So it was extremely difficult to even have a conversation. And then we had this idea of, hey, maybe instead of trying to sell, we can try and spotlight agencies. Let's just do agency interviews. And maybe through that, we can get conversations started. And so initially, we started working down a list and, and doing outbound calls to these agencies saying, hey, we're going to do an agency spotlight. We do them every week. We just want to highlight your agency. You can share what makes you different. We'll post it on our blog. We get X number of visitors per month. And agencies were, oh, wow, yeah, that, this sounds great. This software company wants to interview me? Sure, you're like, I'll get on this this interview. And that's how we really opened up the door initially and, and started those conversations. And then eventually, some of the folks that were that were interviewed on our platform ended up becoming like early pilot customers. Yeah, so, so Ryan, I saw on LinkedIn that you guys are hiring. I saw your LinkedIn post the other day about how you're really struggling to find talent. Is it hard in Boulder in, in particular, or uh, would you maybe consider going remote? Like, like where, where is the challenge right now? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think I, I wouldn't say the issue is isolated to Boulder. I have talked to other startup founders, and they're kind of going through similar growing pains at the moment as well, where it's just really difficult to find great mid-level to senior engineers that are full stack. And I think more so than like the location where we're at, I think it's more of this balance between remote work versus in the office. We've decided to go hybrid. So we're back in the office now three days a week and then work from home two days a week. Just given the size of our company, I think it's super valuable to have that knowledge share in person and and really build a great kind of collaborative culture here in person. But when you're competing with, let's say, Facebook or Google, 
that's going to be paying, you know, substantially more. They have a lot more brand recognition than we do. Um, and they're okay with folks working remotely. Now they're pulling into the same talent pool where previously engineers that were in Boulder only had a few different options in terms of where they could work. And, you know, we were one of the, the, the more exciting options, I guess. And it's made it really tough to, to find that balance, you know, in terms of like whether or not we consider hiring remotely, it's, it's really tough. I, I think, again, like we just really value the culture and, and being in the office. And I don't know, we have, we have a fun team. So I love just hanging out with everyone in person. And like, we just went for team lunch right before this. And so it's so great to be able to have that experience where you won't really have it if, if everyone's remote. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's obviously benefits for, for um, candidates to come and work for you as opposed to massive corporations like Google and Facebook, as you mentioned. So is there anything that you do to attract, you, you do to try and attract these um, applicants? Yeah, I re- really try to focus on, you know, what makes us different. And, and if you think about it, Facebook and Google are both great companies. My my fiance previously worked at Facebook and she loved it there. Um, she recently left and, you know, now she's at a startup and she likes it as well. And I think the biggest difference is really ownership and autonomy. I think working at a small company, you just get so much ownership and you can really take an idea from kind of the early phases all the way through to completion and, and get to reap that reward and see the gratification of a customer using a new feature that you just came up with, you know, two weeks ago and designed it and built it yourself. That's something that's never going to happen at Facebook or a company of that size. It's, it's very kind of compartmentalized and fragmented. And um, yeah, I think we just try and use that to our advantage of really trying to show, Hey, join the startup because you will have that ownership and you will have this autonomy and you will get to work on really exciting problems and, and be able to kind of take an abstract idea and break it down into actual implementation and features. It's actually interesting because just before COVID, probably about a year before COVID, we adopted remote working. So we kind of changed our office, had hot desking in place of like physical desks. Mm-hmm. And people were really attracted to that remote working sort of culture. Yep. Now that everyone's got remote working, it's so hard to stand out as a startup. Like you can't really offer anything different anymore because everyone's doing the same thing. So yeah, yeah. I can see why it's a challenge right now. Yeah. I will say the advantage of that is you can then hire really anywhere in the world, right? So like really opens yeah. your talent pool versus for us. I mean, for us, we've been we've been hiring folks from all over the country in the US and then, you know, having folks move here. So essentially trying to find anyone that is interested in moving to Boulder, Colorado and has a great engineering background. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it, it's possible for us still to hire kind of throughout the US, but it's definitely a limited pool in terms of the number of people that do want to be in an office every day and, and do want to move to, to Boulder, Colorado. Hmm. So we actually had a, a listener question. Uh, so Mark Hoffman from Holland, um, he asked, uh, how and when did you hire your first employee? And any, any tips for other founders as to when is the right time to hire that, that, that first person that isn't a co-founder? Yeah, I mean, I think a, I think a good kind of rule of thumb is, is do the job yourself until you can no longer do it anymore, right? So hopefully you've mastered that role. You know exactly what the person looks like that you need to hire. And you are at full capacity in terms of your time and you can no longer focus any more time and effort onto this role. That's when you need to hire that next person. And hopefully by then, you know, you have enough revenue to support that. So for us, that was actually two years into the business. So the first year in the business, it was just me. Um, At that 12 month mark, I brought on a co-founder and then it was about a whole nother 12 months before we hired our first employee. And the first employee was a salesperson and exactly following that methodology of, hey, we're doing sales ourselves. We're giving demos to every single prospect that is interested in the, the platform. 
we are at full capacity. We cannot give any more demos because there's not enough time in the day. And we could grow quicker if we could just give more demos. So, okay, this is a very obvious reason that we need to hire our next employee. Um, and that was like our first kind of breaking point in terms of what me and my co-founder um, can no longer do ourselves. Did you guys hire like senior first or did you hire like sort of bottom up? Yeah, so we've, we've tried to focus on kind of bottom up and promoting folks from within. Um, so yeah, we found someone that was in his early 20s, really scrappy, understood processes really well, which I think is really important, especially for sales, you know, being able to build out our initial CRM and almost like a sales ops role of how should leads flow through? What is like, what do the sequences look like? Making sure it's all very organized and structured. That way, when we bring the next one, two, three salespeople on, um, yeah, it's, it's already kind of in place and very easy for them to get onboarded. And so we hired someone a bit more junior because that's what our budget allowed. We weren't, we were still bootstrapped at the time. So we were pretty tight in terms of how much capital we had in the bank. Um, but finding someone that had at least been there and done that so they could put the right processes in place. Do you have any tactics that you've used to propel your business forward that weren't necessarily scalable? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I'd say partnerships kind of fall under that. I think if you want to be really successful with a partnership, you need to dedicate a lot of time to it. And I also think it's important for the C-suite, like CEO, COO, to be the one managing that relationship. So it's not like it's something you can hire for or offload. And that's been a great propellant for our business. We have a few really great partners that refer um, tens of customers per month to us. And yeah, it's, it's, it's something, again, that like isn't immensely scalable just because it does require building that relationship. Sometimes, you know, flying out to their office and meeting them in person and getting them really excited about the partnership and helping them understand why they should be promoting your product. Um, but it's, it's really been a great multiplier for us and really has allowed us to almost extend our team by relying on partners that then get some sort of rep share based off of how many deals they close. Before we go, we have a mix of entrepreneurs, founders, and marketers listening. Where can people find you online? Yeah, so I'm, I'm on Medium, and that's typically where I'll blog. Um, I haven't been as active as I'd hope to be, but I, I hope to publish more there. You can just search Ryan Bourne, and you'll find me on Medium. I'm also on Twitter um, under the handle underscore Ryan Bourne. Cool. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ryan. Great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I'm, I'm honored to be following Rand Fishkin. I must say I'm a huge fan of it. And seeing him be on the show before me is pretty awesome.